Hi, and welcome to Dwarf Fortress Roundtable, the podcast for all things dwarfy. I'm Jonathan. I'm Roland. And we've got Tony again with us. Hey, Tony. Hey, guys. How's it going? So you say that the Reddit community is getting pretty psyched up about the uh, about the Steam release? Yeah, it looks like uh, there's just a lot more activity there. And I don't know if you guys caught this at all, but last week, uh, one of the guys working on the Steam graphics posted a, I guess, sort of a preview of the world gen of what the map's going to look like after world gen. And it is super cool looking. It's, you know, it's very like Super Nintendo 16-bit kind of awesomeness. So that was pretty exciting if you caught that. Was it world? Was it a meth? Who? Yeah, that's that? right. Yep, it was Meph, the okay. man behind the Meph graphics pack, who's doing a lot of the work. But yeah, it was like the cleanest map gen I've seen. So that I think is going to make things a little easier because I'd say for me, the map that I have in mind when you know when you hit C and look at your global map, it's a bit it's a bit messy, and that one just cleaned it right up. It's really cool. I think I'm looking at it right now, and it, it's 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 wonderful. Yeah, these little tiny triangle mountains, really nice. It really makes me want to play this game. Oh wait, I I am actually playing this game right now. So, um, <laughs> and it makes me want to do it even more. Well, um, I personally have high hopes for adventure mode because I'm not yet a real pro when it comes to adventure mode, and I hope for the Steam release to actually help me a bit, especially if it looks like this. You can imagine yourself actually playing on a Nintendo or something. Yeah, totally. Uh, you know, one of the things that I I, I had to, I, I say it, I say this authoritatively, I had to go in adventure mode to solve a problem. But um, I've been having some problems with this goblin outpost where I can't seem to defeat it no matter what I throw at it. So I went in an adventure mode to try to explore it and I found it, but I can't figure out how to navigate those goblin pits at all. It's like trenches and crosses and people running around and it, I mean it's total chaos so I don't know if anybody's seen anything about how to successfully navigate some of these procedurally generated baddie bases that would be cool because it is it is terrifying it's quite that, awful yeah that is a very interesting way to think about playing the game not as you're either in fortress mode or you're in adventure mode but to think of it as as just a continuous world and your if your main goal is your fortress that's great but then whenever it turns out that there's something that you need to do that just can't get done with fortress mode and your and your squads that you're sending out can't take care of the the goblin pit then you go into adventure mode and you see if you can do a clandestine, you know, infiltration of the pit and and see what you can do to destroy it that way. That's a nice idea and a nice continuum. Kind of purloined the idea for that from watching those Krug Smash videos, because I think before I saw what he had done, I had kind of just been in the school of thought of like, well, I'll generate a world. And if my fort dies, I'll generate new world and then see what happens. And this way I've, you know, I've kind of kept persistently in this same generated world now for almost 50 in-game years, just kind of seeing what's happening in it. it it's definitely added to the depth, I think. Yeah, definitely. Um, especially when they made some kind of artifact I wanted to have. So I retired my fortress and went there as an adventurer to try, uh, to try and steal it. It didn't really work out because... I made a mistake, so um, I went there as an animal person, like I usually do. I think it was a hyena man, because they have the same height as a dwarf. And for some reason, 
all my dwarves attacked me. I don't even know why, but they saw me as an enemy <laughs> and slaughtered me. And I was like, no, please, I'm your friend. No. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I He's think not they, of the body. Yeah, yeah. They knew I was going to steal their, I don't even know what it was, armor, weapon, something. It was cool. Have you managed to get it yet? No, I just started another fort. And then I tried to go into that fort as an adventurer. So, so I made a fort, really tiny. I, I got like 15 dwarfs or something. Then I retired, made an adventurer and tried to go there. So my adventurer could retire there and become like a super militia, whatever, hyena man. But I haven't killed enough things or animals or people. So my um, militia dwarf, you know, you have to go to your fort and then talk to your militia dwarf leader, whatever, and ask them to be able to stay for the permission. And sometimes they decline if you're like nobody. And well, I haven't killed enough things yet. So he said like, who are you? And no, no, just leave, leave. And I was like, hmm, okay. So I wandered around just killing random animals from horses to whatever I could find. Then I came back and bragged about all the kills I had and then tried again. And he was like, oh, you slaughtered a tortoise. Well, now you can join. And it, I think just there's just such a hidden world in adventure mode. I, I just haven't even begun to scratch the surface of, um, you know, between getting stuck in trees or lost in goblin pits or procedurally generated forts i have not gotten very far at all so it's yeah i'm really looking forward to kind of digging into that because it seems super cool yeah um i know that you can build in adventure mode and you can even dig in adventure mode and that blew my mind because now i want to make an adventurer level him up a bit and whatever and then just retire him somewhere and build him a small house and I don't know, come back later or something or make it to the tavern so that this old adventure guy actually settled down and made a tavern for himself. Um, that would be cool. Yes. Oh, for sure. And I mean, could you then do an embark in a place that you built in adventure mode? I wonder if that would work. I wonder too, yeah. I hope so. Yeah. Well, there's only one way to find out. <laughs> I do know that uh, that Krug Smash in the lead up to the Honey Stoker series, whenever uh, Moses, the boar man, was wandering around the world, one of the first things he did after he left his his fort fortress that had collapsed was go out and build a shelter out in the middle of nowhere, I believe. So yeah, it's certainly something that you can do, and it looked like it was quite similar to doing it in fortress mode. In that you go out, you cut trees, and you actually, uh, you know designate for for areas for building and things like that build walls mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you have this goblin woman too and she built a tavern i think and uh, that was the way i found out that you can actually build in um, adventure mode and that is just the same when it comes to building and i was like <sighs> it's possible that that's what i was thinking about if i understand things right the whole point of it was to have an adventure mode roguelike experience built in a rich world that was developed through fortress mode. So I think the end game is to have adventure mode be awesome. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I think some of his speeches that I've seen on 
YouTube that he's given, he definitely talks a lot about um, adventure mode. But I think one of the things that I've heard recently is some of the interviews he's done, he's definitely talking more about fortress mode now. So I'm wondering if he's sort of like, oh, okay, you know, I better get back to some of this fortress mode stuff as we approach the Steam release. Wasn't it that uh, he personally plays more adventure mode and knows that most of his fan base plays fort mode? Yeah, I think I saw that same thing. I wonder if he's just sitting there and, you know, in front of his computer going, come on, people, you're missing the opportunity here. You can't see it. <laughs> I hope he bears with us and keeps keeps working on the fortress mode stuff because it's really cool. Well, maybe he's listening to us and and is shaking his fist at his computer right now. Yeah, for, for sure. <laughs> These people don't know. They're putting words in my mouth. I don't know what they're talking about. Yeah. I hate yeah. them. He said he's going to personally name all the dwarves after. You know, <laughs> uh, there's a new starship mode, I heard. <laughs> oh, my God. So I think last week, um, didn't we mention traps or talking about traps or something? I did mention talking about traps in that I still have not built a successful trap. Really? <laughs> and I want to learn them. I want to learn how to build traps because that is going to end up being the secret to my, no, not secret, but the, the, the key to my success in keeping a fortress going longer than, uh, than, you know, uh, 20 years or two years even. Uh, I've gotten them going longer than two years. I think that my oldest fortress that I've run has lasted about seven, eight years now. So, But what do you mean when you say you haven't built a trap yet? Do you, do you mean like cage traps or really elaborate tra traps? I'm thinking more like spike traps and traps for defense. Mm-hmm. Uh, bridges that will that will collapse whenever certain things happen and i guess that would be a pit trap right mm -hmm. uh you know it's it's not that uh that i haven't figured it out it's that i haven't tried to figure it out enough yet i suppose yeah i got i got excited when i saw the pressure plate spike traps um in that in that krug smash video i haven't been able to make that work because i can't seem to tie spikes to the to the pressure plate trigger it just doesn't seem to let me do that so i still use just your old you know bog standard weapon traps and that seems to be pretty effective but there's a certain kind of hilariously sadistic element to having spiked pressure plates um so i roland have you ever successfully done that or what kind of traps do you use well i too use just weapon traps uh or cage traps because they're a little bit too overpowered and um, I'm so sadistic that I actually go as far as to uh, use only sharp things in my weapon traps. So whatever passes through actually loses limbs. Um, I, I tried a bike and pressure thingy for uh, securing my caverns. But I'm not sure if it worked because it seems that too much stuff actually goes over it and doesn't get hit by the spears or whatever i don't i don't know what's wrong with that yeah i've i've only had taking a cue from something you talked about last time which was the fun pit where you get to throw animals and things mm -hmm. into it um i made an i made one of those kind of after that conversation 
where it, it sort of opened up accidentally over a cavern. So the pit dropped like eight Z levels and then it dropped into a cavern with all sorts of ledges and ridges all the way down to about 20 levels down. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just put spikes all along the way down. So things would just kind of bounce and smash and bounce and smash. And then there was just a pile of carnage at the bottom. And I thought that was satisfying. <laughs> How did I put that off so long? <laughs> what a great idea. <laughs> Everything's going in the pit. <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> well, if Adam is listening, then uh, perhaps we can ask whenever he finishes up with Honey Stoker that he could do a series of trap tutorials showing, uh, you know, how he did his his uh, pressure plate spike trap and his, uh, uh, you know, he, he had some really nice traps that even that I don't know. I don't know if it's anything special or not, but like the collapsing materials traps that are in front of his gates and. Maybe maybe it would be in order for a few uh, tutorial episodes of Krug Smash on trap building. That would be cool. Hint yeah, at I, a hint. Well, <laughs> yeah, I I would watch them. Of course, I'd probably watch him make a grocery list or something. I don't know. You know, like it's yeah, it's especially cool. if there was art with dwarves making grocery lists. Yeah, I mean, you know, if he's out of ideas, you know, no charge for that one. Um, that's a freebie. Shopping with dwarves. Speaking of which, have you seen some of the horrendous things they cook in their kitchens? Oh yes. I mean, uh, they're they're not great. What what what? They're the prepared mosquito brain. I I mean, that's delicious. Sounds delicious. <laughs> I'd eat it. Like seriously, I I'd, I'd really eat it. It would be hard. I mean, I, where I live, mosquitoes are pretty small. So these dwarves have really got some advanced technology to try to. Get that out of there. Uh, just imagine how many mosquitoes you would need for a tablespoon full of mosquito brain. Sort of tells me I wouldn't want to live in a door fort because if they have that many mosquitoes, it sounds incredibly unpleasant. <laughs> you don't live in the Mississippi Delta, apparently. <laughs> well, you did live in a, in in uh, the central U.S. at one point, but the rice uh, the rice fields in uh, in the Mississippi Delta in Arkansas just have. I mean, mosquitoes are large and thick and will carry you away. So having driven through there a time or two, I can see how mosquitoes could have a a big enough population such that if you actually farmed their brains, that you would have a nice powder that would probably be more of a mosquito brain flower. So there's a restaurant idea for anybody listening in the Mississippi Valley right now. Um, mosquito brain bakery <laughs> it would not sell because because everyone there hates mosquitoes so well you've never tried the loaf what you do is you try to export it <laughs> that's not raisins i can't believe it's not raisins so on the on the thing of traps i i had this clever idea that i would just basically put the entrance to my fort and then i would just line it with traps because obviously my dwarves and visitors and friends are just they're fine they just seem to roll right over the traps they're like hey it's not for me um but then of course the goblins come in or the humans or the elves or whoever's decided to attack me and then they just can't help themselves i mean it's just gore everywhere then i realized that after a siege Everybody comes out of the fort and they're like, oh, we survived. Oh, my God. And then everyone panics and we end up in complete chaos and the fort spirals down and everyone goes nuts. And the next thing you know, we're making dwarf bone amulets. Um, so, yeah, I mean, what have you guys thought of and wait for ways to kind of get around the, you know, the cleanup, the post siege massacre 
abatement? Like what's, what's, what's a good way to, to deal with that? I mean, I have a couple ideas, but I don't know how successful they are. I'm thinking put an outer wall to your fortress uh, entrance such that you keep the, the main entrance to your fortress far enough away from where, where the enemies, where the siege people would come in far enough away from the main entrance of your fortress that, uh, that hopefully that's not going to be as much of a problem. Hmm. Well, um, we all know that I built this giant toilet, right? Giant toilet yes. cleans up things very easily. You just need a level somewhere, I don't know, uh, deep down. And I mean, if you make it elaborate enough, you could totally clean the entrance of your fort. You, you could seal it with bridges, then flood it, and it all goes down the pit. And then you stop the water and to let the bridges down again. Yeah. Hey, if you did channel, if you put some uh, pumps by the river and you channeled uh, water to a basically kind of a, a, a normally open area in front of your, in front of your uh, fortress entrance where the, where the battle would happen and everything needs cleaned up. If you get all your dwarves underground, you flood it occasionally. Would that clean up your, your area? Well, it uh, definitely should flush away heavy corpses and the blood. Just the thing is, especially when humans attack or goblins, it's sad that you might lose all the iron that comes with it. You know, like the, the weapons and stuff. So you might want to make something so that you can clear the corpses of their stuff. Hmm. But then you would need dwarves again. So you have to find your dwarves that in their personalities, they say that dead bodies don't bother them and have them be your cleaning crew. Well, well, yeah, you, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can train your dwarves for that. You make your a squad of militia dwarves, you let them train. So they, is it discipline skill that the dwarves don't run away from battles and stuff and they don't get uh, frightened as easily? It's all also a good skill for your uh, medical dwarf, by the way. So you might want to get that up and only enable for them corpse cleanup. That could work. Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah, you could have like the cleanup crew with labor that you could, you know, toggle on and off. So like after a siege, you could basically just say, okay, everybody just let the, you know, let the heavies get in and go clean up. That's a good mm -hmm. idea because there's a lot of good stuff that the goblins bring with them. You know, sometimes that'll be my iron supply for the year. I can fully imagine how useless a medical dwarf would be that panics at the sight of blood. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Rock field person. <laughs> at the same time, I can totally imagine a dwarf doing that. Like, I think I'd set up siege weapons one time and the dwarves panicked and ran away. Whoever was supposed to operate the siege weapon saw the siege coming and panicked and ran away. And I was like, all right, I'm done with siege weapons. This was not good. Yeah, the discipline skill is always good. That's why I try, I, I at least try to train most of my dwarves, even though I um, disband the squad later on or something. The discipline skill stays up and that works really good, I think. That's a great idea. That's that's definitely a good argument for putting everybody in a squad and like having them train like a and month a year or something. Especially if you have this cleanup squad, whatever, uh, you don't assign any uh, work for them or just random craftsmen wax stuff so they get a bit creative. 
from time to time and don't get too sad about that unless they train with i don't know your your wood weapons you have lying around from the elves from time to time you can send them off in the caverns and kill things so they get an extra bonus on uh, like no emotions when they see dead things yeah we got to turn them into hard souls <laughs> or or build a scholar for it and then they can all debate things to the end of the universe Well, dude, 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 if you actually get this mod to expand on the arches, so arches actually get their ass off and train for once, that's <laughs> the thing ever. Like, mm, do it. I love the idea of archers because archers, you know, can work from a distance. Ranged well, attacks don't. are always <laughs> prevalent. <laughs> they don't, yeah. <laughs> they don't. They're like, oh, a goblin, better bash him with my bow. That's right. <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, I might as well start making crossbows with spikes because they only use them as melee weapons. Yeah. <laughs> Even though they've got all the bolts in the world. I, yeah. I and, and trying to get them to train. Every once in a while, I have a fort where magically the, they will start training. The archers will train. And it's so exciting and wonderful when it happens. But it's yes. not that common. Yes. You know, <laughs> Like, oh, my God, they're doing it. I'm so proud of them. And then I get them all killed or something, you know, and it's like, nobody's ever going to do this again. You know what works great? Instead of a normal military training, just assign them to it. It does train their archery skill. And for once, they will actually train enough to level up. Hunting annoys me somewhat in that it seems that my hunters will always go out. They will kill the, uh, the prey and then they will just leave it to rot. <laughs> hey they're just they just like to kill <laughs> yeah it's like hunter cancels cancels return of prey or something like that is what it tells me every time well and it could, could be that your butcher workshop is just uh full for some reason the dwarves will tend to not go back to what they killed yesterday so like hmm well now the butcher workshop is free i could get the whatever turkey and uh, butcher it today Nah, instead they go out and hunt again. That's so just build two butcher workshops and you should be fine. Okay. That that's uh, what I will try then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hadn't actually thought of that. I assumed that they had a refrigerator or something that they would just put it in. Uh <laughs> a Dorvin refrigerator. There's another mod for you. Gotta keep that mosquito brain fresh. Yo, yo, um, RimWorld actually does this refrigerated thing where you have to assign a stockpile and if it's your food stockpile, you have to cool it or your food will spoil, which makes sense, of course. Yeah. And I don't know if it would be hard to implement that in Dwarf Fortress because, I mean, it is medieval style, so you cannot do like a electric cooling system. But some dwarfy way of cooling things would be nice. It would be annoying. Especially at the start, if you have to cool your stuff. But, I don't know. He's got the concept of power in already, which is interesting. But yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, I wonder how far that would go. Because, I mean, I suppose if you, had a, if you lived in an ice biome, you could cut out ice cubes or something. Yeah. But there we go. <laughs> the ice traders have arrived. Oh, great. <laughs> Every once in a while, I step back and I, and I think of how amazing it is that this all, you know, sprung from the mind of of you know two people (laughs) yeah and that it's been so consistently 
developed over the years and and i do gather we're in for a bit of a a wait before the steam release comes but hey i mean that's cool like it's you know there's still plenty to do but yeah um it is amazing that he can manage to keep you know plugging away at this that's awesome has anybody read an estimated time on when the steam release might be no yeah, I think when it's done is sort of the the thing. Yeah, I, I think people were um I, I read something that said, okay, so Kit Fox Games has their own Discord and right. um I, I think I'd read some comments somewhere, I don't know where on the internet I read them, but that basically people were kind of asking Kit Fox for information and Kit Fox is like, I don't know. So, you know, whenever whenever they get to a stopping point and it seems to range from almost there to not gonna happen this year. So I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? Dwarf Fortress on Steam in 2023. Everyone's excited. Well, I bet they're just refraining of telling when because maybe they're just taking their time. And especially, I, I think that's a good thing. They they should take their time and fix problems and, you know, take a year, whatever. I don't want yeah. a weird game or something. Anytime that you put a date on a piece of software, it's not going to hit it. If you work in software, you know that, and you just understand that things are going to get pushed out over and over again. But the general public doesn't know that. So I, I get that. Yeah, and I think when you put a date on something, like you end up with Fallout 76 or whatever, you get this game that met its deadline, but nobody likes it So because it's bad. So, you know, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't really mean. <laughs> Sorry for mentioning them together. Somewhere in that talk, I realized another great trap would be to have the hall, uh, like like you were talking about, Tony, and combine that with Roland's idea of taking a water flood and washing it clean. Why not have a pump that you could start with a leather? with a lever that will flood out an entryway while your enemies are trying to access it and clean it and kill them all at the same time. Yeah. A trap and flood. A flood trap. Yeah. Wash them away. Wash away all your problems. Has that been done? Oh, I bet it has. Question is, has it been done with magma? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. But then when you do it with uh, magma, you would not get uh, the items and the iron, whatever, short swords. I know this is like, I can make my own iron. But I like looting. (laughs) That's okay. I totally get it because I don't like making my own food. One of my favorite things to do whenever a caravan comes is I don't even bother with farming or hunting too much. I just buy all the food on the caravan, trade it off for for goblets and cups and and spare beds. And, you know, that always until until I have a situation where the caravan stop coming, that seems to be working very well. Yeah, I, I noticed that um, I saw that in, in some tutorial video and I had just always kind of, I guess, because the tutorials I used when I started, they're like, make crafts and sell those for other things, trinkets or whatever, when the trade caravan comes. And I'd never really thought of it as a, like, this is this would actually be a good way to get food until I saw somebody actually kind of successfully doing that. And then there's that game scenario generator. I think I sent that link out earlier um and we'll put it in the show notes yeah and it generates these absolutely mind-bendingly difficult scenarios for you to complete and one of them i got was um play you know at at fort mode but the only industry you can have is cloth or is is clothes making so i was like wow that's 
hard. <laughs> I'll have to trade everything for dresses. I've never bothered with trading for clothes, although that will probably become a problem. Does it affect dwarves' outlook on life whenever they're wearing tattered clothing? Yeah. How yeah. long does it take for clothing to get tattered? Well, it depends on how hard your dwarves are working. So when they're working just normally and doing their craft stuff and uh, hanging around, it will take a year, maybe longer, for the small X to uh, pop up. And if they fight or something, it will get tattered really, really fast. So one fight and all his clothes are ruined, basically, especially if you have a weaponized fight, so it's not a fist fight in your tavern. So there is a indicator, a small X that comes up whenever your clothes are tattered. Is that is that what I'm hearing here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, tattered clothes have a small X and in in front and after them, after the name of the clothes. Gotcha. Uh, then there is a giant X. I think they're even. That's uh, another thing that I have not yet deciphered. Um, my goodness, I've been playing this for lucky going on a year and a half now and there is so much of this game that i just am clueless about still fun but like whenever i'm going through all of my uh my inventory especially whenever i'm trading things to caravans i will see all the symbols to the sides of the things that i have built in my fortress and i kind of assume that the cooler they look those little symbols and that are on either side of the of the name of the thing that i'm trying to trade off i assume that the cooler they look the more impressive that particular item is so you know the a mug or goblet with like 12 asterisks to the side of it is probably going to be a pretty dang cool goblet and i should expect to get more money out of it but i don't know that that's just that's just me thinking and i very often think wrong with this game yeah, there's yeah. a list on the wiki shows mm -hmm. you which symbols map to what, which has been helpful for me. Oh, wiki. <laughs> so what's the what's the breakdown for you guys? How much do you use like video tutorials versus just kind of trying to read wiki entries or or is it split 50 50 i'm, I'm kind of all over the place I, think. I am all wiki pretty much i watch some tutorial videos i watch some let's plays the only one that i really watch religiously though is krug smash and i kind of watch that as kind of a tv show series that happens uh uh you know each week and it's not so much that it's a tutorial that i'm looking for there it's more of a entertainment kind of thing and just ideas so as far as learning the game after I figured out how to dig, how to farm, and how to build squads, after that, it's all been uh, been wiki for me. It's not been hardly any video for learning. For me, uh, too, um, I'm actually just 100% wiki. The only videos I watched was the video from Joe Vinesauce, uh, where I came to play War Fortress after. And a few from Crux Smash because entertainment purposes. But else, I'm only on the wiki and reading there. And sometimes I'm so bored that I actually go on the wiki on random and click through random pages to read. <laughs> um, works great. Yes, you learn obsidian farming just by randomly clicking around. I came across um, somebody called Dastastic on YouTube that did a series of like, I don't know, 50 or 60 
tutorials on how to basically starting from how to not get killed by a badger to how to build, you know, a magma fountain on the surface. I mean, he kind of starts basic and goes all the way up, but, um, and, and I think he's got some sort of scenarios like very proto Krug smash type things where he's trying to do these creative things. Um, pretty cool. You know, I definitely picked stuff up from him and he's, he's more entertaining than your usual, like today we will cover this. This is what we'll, you know, like, I don't know. I, I get bored really quickly with tutorials, but, um, his, his were semi entertaining. So I found that useful. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I'm with you guys. It's just, I like to read about it rather than watch a let's play or whatever. Well, it tends to be because I have the control whenever I go to the wiki on what it is that I'm looking at. And it all almost always is what it is that I'm trying to do right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Tutorials aren't the best for that unless you have, you know, it might not be a bad idea for somebody Maybe something that we could do. Maybe it should be a Dwarf Fortress Roundtable video series of tutorials that are five minutes long about how to make a flood trap. Well, for real, I think that would be pretty cool because, you know, there, you know, there is a lot of that. I think that there's definitely, um, you know, a lot to be said for good editing. And I think that's one of the things Krug Smash does really well um, is that he really edits it down. So by the time you're watching that video, you're not actually watching him accidentally flood and kill the fort and then have to stop and redo and rebuild the fort. You know, he might just be like, whoops, okay, we'll be right back. And then he comes back and it's all rebuilt. And I I find that kind of editing to be pretty useful, especially with a game like Dwarf Fortress, where so much of it is just kind of like, oh, let's wait now for 10 minutes while the dwarves go off and dig out the tunnels, you know, because it's just, it doesn't strike me as a game that naturally lends itself to a let's play streaming video or something. I think editing is helpful. Yeah. And, you know, I don't want this to turn into a, we love Krug Smash to the, uh, to the exclusion of everybody else kind of thing, yeah. but he does seem to have hit a sweet spot of, uh, of turning Dwarf Fortress play into an entertain an entertainment medium. And it has to do also with his art. His art is certainly, you know, lends to that. Well, somebody else doing something really cool is, um, I don't know if you've come across it, but there's a guy that does really awesome pixel art and his series is called Moon Canyon. That sounds right. Um, It's all in Spanish and he's subtitled it, but um, his Spanish is really clear. So if you're learning Spanish, it's actually not too hard to follow. And it's re- his art is amazing. Like he's he's a really good artist, and he's really kind of piecing it together like Krug Smash. So that's another one I think to keep an eye on. Somebody that's doing some really cool stuff. I think that it was Nucrium that was the actually the very first tutorials that I ever watched. I'm pretty sure it was Nucrium, and and those are the ones that I I started with my very first fortresses fortresses that I actually was able to get something done in. Those were the ones that I learned how, and it was, uh, I believe it was an ASCII and I was able to first do my farming, my first designations for mining, my first designations for stockpiles, learned how to dismember my, my wagon and, and all that. I probably, I, I should have given him more credit from the very start about being the way that I actually learned how to get things done into a fortress. Cause that's what it's all about, right? That's, that's the key to enjoying Dwarf Fortress is getting those first few things such that you can do something, build something, and not just sit there staring at the screen and thinking that it's a completely undecipherable mess, right? I'm with you. Mm-hmm. Johan Tux's monologue for the day. There it was. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think it, there's just such value in that. And people 
kind of doing more and kind of giving back. And I, I think what, what's really cool is it's interesting to see that kind of community build around a game that's free and that has an, you know, a relatively uh, relaxed development cycle. It's pretty neat. And the fact that there are all these possibilities for graphics packs and mods and, you know, that Toadie hasn't tried to put his foot down and squash DF hack. Um, you know, and it, you know, you're sort of, it's an exercise left to the player how much you want to use DF hack. And I'll admit to, I'll cop to having over, perhaps overused it on occasion. Well, honestly, I'm frustrated. <laughs> honestly, if Toddy One was to squash DF hack, then, then he would actually be shooting himself in the foot. And I think he knows that. Oh, totally. I, yeah. I mean, I, I think it's because it enables like text will be text and all the mods and, and the graphics packs and stuff. I, I think it's, it's so cool that it seamlessly fits in the ecosystem and the fact that it'll be part of the steam release and, and all of that, I think is, is just, is super cool. Um, and, and I also love that it kind of frees him up to work on the, you know, the cunning strategy and the grand plan. Uh, you know, it just occurred to me that, uh, whenever I, I was looking through uh, YouTube and I saw that Nucrium tutorial and I realized just now that that is how I first learned and how I, I kind of feel bad now for, for not giving him a little bit of a, of a, of a, you know, a shout out before I'd like to ask anybody who's listening. If you have somebody who has done good tutorials and that's the way that you learned and you think that they need to get uh, some recognition, go to dfroundtable.com, make a comment on this video and, let us know who needs shout outs and we will be happy to say, Hey, check it out. And, uh, and we'll do that. I think that's, I think that's a great idea. And I think the cool thing about tutorials is just because there's already a tutorial for how to build, you know, a magma hospital or whatever. It doesn't mean that there can't be like five others because the cool thing about the game is that just because you do it one way, doesn't mean you can't think of 12 other ways to do it. And, and so, you know, that's kind of my thing. And I was, there was a, a reddit thread and somebody was kind of saying oh i don't know if i should do it i'm thinking yeah man do it the, the more the better dev notes i i looked at it i mean it's i think it's just more of the same stuff like we i think we know he's working on the villains pretty hard and he sort of shares little insights but you know i think there's nothing major that's come out recently about it. I think he's just like kind of answering the same questions like, you know, when steam, um, when villains, you know, <laughs> you know, and I, I think it's, you know, he's just kind of like, I'm working on it and soon, hopefully. There is the line on the Bay 12 games on the five one nineteen uh, blurb there on the dev page that says now to begin supernatural villains and perhaps our first end of the world. What does that mean? End of the world. Is there going to be a situation such that the world that you have generated can cataclysmically end? <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I'm totally in for that. That sounds amazing. That does. Uh-oh. You just, you know, released the pit of Balrogs. Oh, wait. That's probably got a trademark on it. Can't use that one. The pit of evil demons from darkness. And sorry, but all of those civilizations that you were working toward defeating and yours are now gone. There are cases where if you leave world gen running too long, the world gen fails. Cause I had this great idea of, you know, right 
you know, leaving it running overnight and saying, oh, it'd be so cool to have a world with 1500 years of history. And I came back in the morning and it was like, nope, sorry, world ended, didn't work. Try again. You know, it's like everybody just wiped themselves out, I guess. So, whoops. I know that they can reject uh, that world gen will reject things whenever you've given it a set of uh, a set of uh, parameters that that particular world doesn't meet. Then they'll say, nope, rejected. Nope, rejected. And then you have to loosen your parameters somewhat. That cracked me up. So I guess that'll happen if you just let the history run too long. Mass genocide. Yeah, basically, you're just feeding the goblins, you know, at that point, because I think they usually win unless there's, you know, some sort of world ending scenario. And it's like one dwarf and one hedgehog man monster fighting to the death. And that's it. Then. The longest world I've ever let generate was probably like uh, like 600, 700 years or something like that. And by that time, it was taking, you know, a half hour or so for it to go through a year. I unfortunately have not played a single frame of Dwarf Fortress in the last two weeks. That is very sad. I unfortunately have just had way too many things going on and I've just not been able to sit down and do it. So I am recusing myself of the state of the fortress for this episode. Fellas. I haven't played myself, but uh, a friend of mine played and I tried to show her what is going on in the, in the game. And there was this little heartbreaking moment so, so we, we played on ASCII without um, any textures or something. And there was this little heartbreaking moment for me when she asked me why dogs weren't moving anymore. And I had to tell her that the little red background actually means they're all dead. Oh, did you throw the dogs in a pit? Admit it. No, she didn't. I I wasn't allowed to play, and I refrained from actually telling her how to design her fortress uh, because I want to see how she goes over problems herself and comes to this design for herself. Um, Because she's she's quite creative, and I think she will get solutions for problems that. I don't have, or I manage differently or something. And I just want to see a different approach to several problems. Tony, have you played this week? I have, um, probably more than I should have. Um, I got, I'm really dedicated on wiping out the goblin civilization called the grieving hate. And, uh, my objective is, is nearing completion and I've pretty much wiped out every fortress in the south part of my continent um, and either taken them over with my wonderful civilization called the Virtuous Roof, or I've you know just obliterated them from the face of the earth, which is also satisfying. Um, but there's one fort called Flytomb that turns out to have been the headquarters of the, of the evil goblin empire. And as I found out, it's inhabited by a hedgehog man monster called Emu. And that little dude is just an unbelievable force to be reckoned with. Like, just wiped out squad after squad of legendary axe dwarves. And that's when I mentioned earlier that I went into adventure mode just to see if there was something I could do, like wall him in or kill him or something. I couldn't even find him. Yeah, so I started yet another fort. 
just to see if I can try to deal with this character. And this is just a straight up military fort. It's going to be like some sort of military dictatorship that I'm running here, but we're all going to be legendary and we're just going to stay at it. Cause I, these guys have got to go. Um, I guess so you put it really close, really close to the, uh, to the, to the fortress, the, the goblin pit that you're trying to destroy. Absolutely. As close as the embark tool would let me get. So I am right on them. And, you know, they don't have very many goblins anymore to throw at me, but I think they still have like 200 elves and like 5,000 trolls. So it's going to take some time to, to keep chewing. I don't know where all the trolls come from, to be honest. I mean, I, I have cage traps just filled with trolls that I, you know, love throwing in pits. Um, now, thanks, Roland. That's been one of my new favorite things in the world to do. It's like, yay, more stuff for the pit. Hooray. I just right, can't wait. It? it is the most satisfying thing I've experienced <laughs> in this game. <laughs> I, yeah, my pit going into the caverns was my favorite, but um, but you know the other ones will have to do. But yeah, so that's where I am, and so hopefully at some point the virtuous roof will succeed. But it's pretty cool because this is like the fifth fortress that I've had in this part of my map, and so it's pretty neat to see you know coins. Like every year, I make gold coins for whatever fort I have. And so, you know, I've seen gold coins from some of my other forts turn up on, you know, they have randomly appeared in my treasury and weapons that I've created in other, other forts have magically appeared. Actually, I cheated in one fort and spawned in two or three adamantine axes because I was panicking because I was getting like, well, do something. So I DF hacked it. And, and those axes are still around and they've got names and people are showing up on my fort with them. So that's pretty cool to see the mm. legacy of my dishonesty haunting me to this day. But all's well that ends well. <laughs> so, hey, I got a uh, I got a note from a guy that is developing a RPG, a pencil and paper RPG based on Dwarf Fortress. So that sounded pretty weird. Okay. Like, well, I don't know any details of it. I'm going to ask him for more details, but yeah. yeah, he put a couple of, um, he put a couple of posts on Reddit. Yeah. So I think the info's there. Okay. Rock and roll. All right. So that's going to wrap up this episode of Dwarf Fortress Roundtable. I would like to remind everyone, uh, to give us some names of people who make great tutorials for shout outs and send us a comment on dfroundtable.com and we will get the name out there and get some recognition to those people who have helped you learn Dwarf Fortress. So I suppose until next time, uh, this is Jonathan. And I'm Roland. And I'm Tony. Have a good week. This has been Dwarf Fortress Roundtable, the podcast for all things dwarfy. You can find all our past episodes at dfroundtable.com. Please stop by and leave a comment or suggestion in the comments section of this episode. While you're there, you can subscribe to Dwarf Fortress Roundtable or find us in the podcast service of your choice. Music is Sky Q. Ellen, composed by Kevin McLeod. You can find Kevin McLeod's music at incompetech.com. You can find a link in the show notes. Ecostatas Safety Join, a Date Palm podcast. This is a Date Palm podcast. All craft dwarfship is of the highest quality. It is decorated with date palm wood and encircled with bands of coconut palm. <laughs> <laughs>